0: Hey, welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange. I'm Chloe Lula, the producer of this show. Today, I'm pleased to have part two of a three-part series called Future Proof, presented by Bradley Zero and his platform, Rhythm Section. If you missed the first episode with Jordan Rackai, you can go check it out on our SoundCloud. Future Proof is a series of masterclasses that Rhythm Section put on with the goal of equipping people with the tools needed to work in the music industry as well as to demystify some of what goes on behind closed doors. Each talk, which was recorded in real life, focuses on a different theme and invites a guest to speak on that theme. This week, it's how to build your identity as a DJ with Alice Moxon, better known as Moxie. Bradley Zero, who co-hosts this episode alongside Rhythm Section's Henry Scott, opens their conversation by saying that Moxie is, quote unquote, one of the most organized and graceful DJs on the circuit. In this conversation, she walks through her career, describing how she started out as a radio DJ on KISS FM and NTS before playing parties and touring full-time. Now she has a label and party series that she curates called On Loop, which has invited artists like Matthew Herbert, Josie Rebell, Leon Vinehall, Kay Hand, and Joy Orrison, and venues across Europe and the UK. Moxie talks about how she got into all of this by going to raves in Shoreditch while she was in university and learning to DJ in after-school workshops. Moxie's been doing this for a long time, but she shares that it's been important for her not to rush things along the way.
1: So say if you're like gearing towards doing an essential mix or something like that, or a mix for a resident advisor, like often some of those things are about profile. And again, those things, I think it's good not to just like rush into them. I've got a friend who is got like a really great following and like she's like real like buzzy, everyone's like really excited about her and she's been killing it. But, you know, even like quite early into her career, she's had quite a fast trajectory. And like even really early on, BBC were like, we want to do an essential mix, we want to do this. And she's just like, you know what? No, I don't want to do that yet. Because also like your sound can evolve and like you can change. And I think those things will come around. If if that's how you're thinking about it as this like a real like career, like I want to be, I'm going to be a DJ, um, I love music. That's the main thing I'd always say, like, be obsessed with music. Like, love it.
0: She also imparts words of wisdom about how to cultivate a healthy relationship with the booking agent, how to maneuver stylistically within a scene without confusing promoters, how to prep for gigs, dig for music, and ultimately to always work with people who have the strategy and who have your back. I've been working in the music industry in various capacities for a long time, and I still learned so much from this talk. So I'm positive you will, too. Without further ado, I'll let Bradley Zero take it away. Thanks so much for tuning in.
2: Hello, everyone. So for anyone who's listening back, we are broadcasting live from Defected basement. So a big thank you to Defected for hooking this up and allowing us to use the space. Um, and all of the, uh, the the future proof candidates are here from across the country. So welcome and nice to nice to meet you all. Um, what is future proof? So future proof, it's a it's a scheme that evolved out of our lockdown era Patreon scheme, which is essentially existed to equip the next generation with a, like a wide variety of skills um, from across the music industry from from DJing but also covering different creative and business aspects of of the industry largely to a demystify a lot of what goes on behind the scenes and um, and also to to try to level the playing field because it's quite it can be quite a, a closed industry and if you're not involved in it it, it can actually be quite confusing to really know how how the machine works so we wanted to to try and just just kind of shine a light on what goes on and share our knowledge uh and what we did in the first the first iteration of the scheme in lockdown was to offer this to a small group of people through patreon um and what we're in now is phase two which is essentially to be able to offer that for free and to be able to offer it to a wider audience and um, get people involved in real life. So this is the first day of that, and it's been made possible with um, Arts Council and PRS funding. So again, shouts to those people for helping make that happen. Um, And also big thank you to Henry and EJ, who's just behind there, who uh, have been coordinating the, the program and it wouldn't have happened without them. So the first session, the theme is building your identity as a DJ. And we invited Alice aka Moxie who's um ooh, a long-time friend of mine and one of the the most organized and graceful DJs I'd say on the circuit who um has just really got her shit together and uh and is really really good at what she does we've played together a few times we've got another another big party coming up soon and um have shared a similar journey some some different
1: yeah we have yeah for sure
2: but also a lot of similarities and um I'm sure we've got a lot to talk about
1: yeah, we have. Thank you for inviting me for the first one, Anna. And hi everyone. Welcome along. Hello.
2: Yeah, so that's the introduction. And then I'm gonna hand over to Henry to uh to start off. So yeah, thank you all for coming and uh let's get going.
3: Thank you, Bradley. Eloquently said. Um yeah, as Bradley said, this first masterclass is uh titled Developing Your Identity as a DJ. Uh But also as a creative and an artist, um, more broadly, um, even though we're talking about DJing, uh, a lot of these ideas and conversations can be applied to a broader practice. So naturally, Mm -hmm. I think it's fair to start, um, talking around your background, where you began these first key moments in your career and then Perhaps explain how these uh, became a touching stone for future Moxie, and uh, you know what, how your identity was sort of built from the beginning.
1: Okay, um, so I started DJing. Well, yeah, I was I was introduced to DJing when I was fourteen, when I was in school. I went to an amazing school in London called Camden School for Girls and there was a after school dj workshop run by a company called bigger fish and i believe they still exist today they were just so amazing it was just such a rare opportunity for me um and to be honest if i didn't have those after school dj workshops i really don't think that i would be a dj today because growing up 14 like quite a long time ago now um <laughs> There weren't any female DJs, there was no one to look up to. It wasn't even a path that I even considered. I, I didn't even think about being a DJ. Not even until many, many years later, until it actually was starting to become a career path or something that I was taking seriously. Um, so that is where it started. It was all based around UK Garage. Um, so that really is is the kind of foundation of the music that I love. It's, you know, it's like groovy, soulful, vocal. And I'm a London girl, so it's it's very, you know, it's the UK. Um, and so for a long time I was in school and I just got the bug and I just really loved collecting records. And I, again, wasn't even thinking of being a DJ. I was also heavily into hip hop at the time. So I was just, just going to record shops, having that whole interaction. This is sort of pre-internet as well. And. And it, yeah, it was just um, it was just like a hobby. It was just something that I did at home after school. I was really secretive about it because I'd get really nervous DJing in front of any, anyone. You know, I'd go to like house parties and there'd be all the boys like mixing and I was just like, oh God, there's no way that I could step up because it was all vinyl as well. So I was like, I don't want to clang a mix. Um, and then I remembered, yeah, just like practicing and getting better and better. And, and I was like, wow, I'm like really like getting good at this and like really kind of understanding it. But actually, when I think about my setup back in the day, it was so terrible. I had my turntables in front of me, like here, and then I would have my computer desk over here with two computer speakers. And I was trying to mix on on belt drive turntables with the speakers over there. I don't know how I managed to do it. But uh, yeah, I mean, I suppose, you know, it's pretty good training. at had to like, do everything in the headphones pretty much. Um, so that's kind of like... That's that that was my life for like a really, really long time until my early twenties. I went to university, dubstep started becoming like a real thing. And um it was really exciting. It was this new genre of music in London and that was the scene that I essentially came up with. Loads of parties, loads of raves all all around here, uh in in Shoreditch. Very, very different. Um back then, Shoreditch looked like completely different. There was just these amazing warehouses that uh Rince would put on, like Rince FM, their parties were called Forward, you had plastic people around the corner. We also used to work in that club for a bit as well. So I was really like just in in this environment um around loads of people that were in music. I also worked with Ben G B for a really long time. Um I worked with him on his Club Night Deviation, was helping him with his radio show and that was a massive influence for me as well. So I had all the dubstep stuff going on, had like the Benji world going on. Was like a massive fan of Mary Ann Hobbs. And then, yeah, I just started playing more and more raves. And you mentioned like moments where, you know, your career, you look back and you think, wow, that was a moment. And I suppose, um, when things felt really special was playing this really iconic rave called DMZ and I was the first ever woman to play there um, twice for 10 years until Marianne Hobbs played the 10 year anniversary. So that's where people started to know me from when I started to play out around this time, NTS was going as well. And so that really NTS is definitely like a key part of my identity. Um, and just it's, yeah, it's, to be honest, it's been quite like a long road getting to this point because I don't make music. I'm not a producer. People know me for being a DJ. Um, and so I've really like gained a lot of followers from, from radio and from having a label. And so over the years, there definitely have been more like key, key moments. But when I think back to kind of coming up that definitely playing that rave and being in an environment around all those sorts of people is part of my kind of foundation really.
3: Totally. That's amazing. Um, particularly being the first woman to play the DMZ party, big achievement
1: there were just no women. This is a thing. There really just weren't any women around. So I don't even think it was a conscious decision from them not choosing women to play. They just weren't even women. And it's honestly amazing how different it is now. I get so excited seeing all these women come through and these young girls and stuff like it's so great. I'm just so happy that's all I've ever wanted. Um, Just, you know, even just thinking back like all those years ago, which might even be 10. No, oh my God, I need to figure out when that rave was actually. But yeah, maybe even coming up to 10 years. <laughs>
2: I think more than 10 years. It's almost 2023 mox. God, <laughs> oh, I feel so
3: old. Bear reminder. Um, amazing. And you still have all the dubstep records, honey, anyways? From- yeah,
1: I absolutely would never sell any of them in lockdown. uh, You know, obviously, we all had like, some time on our hands, and I thought, well, right, I am going to go through all my records and that was my thing. As Bradley mentioned, I wanted to like I wanted to organise everything. I wanted to tidy everything up, clear it all out. And I went through all of my records. But if there's one section that I would never sell, it's my dubstep section, especially all the DMZ records, because really it's it's the sentimental value that they hold for me and all the memories of, of being in those parties as well. Um, but you know, this is the thing is that I was part of that that scene and this is how quickly the the industry can change. And and I suppose a good thing is that because, even though I was part of the dubstep scene, I also was able to kind of maneuver because I didn't strictly play dubstep. I was also playing a lot of stuff similar to Hessel Audio and, and kind of verging into techno, but still kind of bassy in UK and around 140. But when that scene died, um you know kind of just fizzled out as music naturally does I mean we're having a cycle now where it's all coming back you know every 10 years that's what people say I was able to you know naturally I was also evolving as a person and a DJ to kind of like move into into new territory and I was also discovering loads of like really underground house music and techno so in a way it's, I don't know not being a producer has kind of also been a benefit because I've been able to just kind of be a part of like so many other sort of sounds and manoeuvre into, into a new scene, I suppose.
3: Do you think that's really important for today's generation of artists to stay versatile or is it possible to?
1: I mean, it's, yeah, It I don't know. I think it's, uh, I think honestly, you've just got to do what feels right and what feels natural for you. Um, sometimes the fact that I played different styles kind of was a hindrance because people didn't know where to place me. And that was kind of frustrating. Also coming out of the bass scene for a really long time, people just thought I was this UK bass girl and people in Europe didn't, they were just, they didn't get it. And so I really, really had to put the work in. I had to be really strict about the lineups that I did. And I think anyone that's that's gonna go into a new scene, I mean, look at Scream, you know, being from dubstep and now he's like tech house and that kind of world. And that even for him, you know, you have to say no a lot of the time, you have to say no to loads of shows really just stand your ground and be like, no, this is what I want to do, this is where I want to go. And um I had that for a long time. But I didn't I didn't do full time DJing for ages though. You know, and I think that's another thing. If you wanna if you want to do this, wait until that last possible moment. You never want to rely on gigs for the sake of money. You only want to do them if you're like you're really like, yeah, I want to do that show. That feels right. Because once you start taking shows for money then you know then you just start losing control over over your path really I think it really needs to come down to what you want to do and like where you want to be and actually sometimes like just taking a longer time to get there can actually be a better thing because honestly like music has just changed so much like I see people like years ago that were so big and then now they're just either they've decided to retire or they're kind of just you know like from Dove for example they're just people just don't want to book them anymore. They're just not interested. And it's like, heartbreaking because people are super talented. Um, yeah. <laughs> I
3: feel you on that. Um, yeah. incredible. was it, was there a certain point or a time or a period where there was meditation on that idea where you sort of had to plan and sit back and be like, okay, this is what I want to do. This is where I want to be.
1: Yeah. I think that transition really is the first time that I started having to think like, okay. I'm gonna to have to be really tactical and I started working with management around that 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 uh, time as well. Um and I uh yeah, I did my, my club night. I was already doing these compilations called Moxie Presents that were an extension of my radio show and um I would put them up on SoundCloud and I'd curated the whole thing and I like spoke to everyone and like it was a real fun project, but it was, yeah, it was kind of like me starting a label without knowing that I was starting a label. And so I did these compilations, well, the first one um, on my own, put it up on SoundCloud, you know, emailed, like had a whole list of all the press people to email. Like there were loads of blogs around that time that were popping off and I was like, I'm gonna, you know, send everything direct to them. I had a DJ ma- mail out, you know, and then I was doing it on radio and then I had people on the on the show doing mixes. Like I did a whole press plan. Like, but also actually when I was younger, I've had quite a few jobs in music as well. And when I was 18, um I did a summer working for free in a uh, music PR company called Salt and um and that's where I met like quite a few people as well, um just in music from like going out and that that again that really like taught me a lot of like how to how to um do PR for a campaign. But um Oh, I feel like I've trailed off. I was trying to remember the point that I was making. What was the question again? I
3: don't remember. Oh, um, No, was there a point of meditation?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the point of like being conscious about, about like having a plan. Um, so yeah, coming out of that, the base scene and having to, to be like, right, where do I want to go? Who do I want to play with saying no to promoters? And, and like, how do I get into like certain clubs? And so with my club night on loop, which was the extension of the label. That's what I was mentioning. The compilations. Um, I wanted to have a night where I could, I could place myself, and I could also do all the bookings. So I could say, like, hey, like, actually, these are all the people that I want to play with, and like, this is how I want you to see me. Um, and I also wanted to have it as a platform to try and book people that I thought were really great, and try and book women. Not that there were that many of them, but. Um, I would try like anyone that was in the scene to try and like, you know, get them on the nights as well. And I started doing those nights at Pickle Factory here in London and then planned a sort of like European UK tour. So we would do a night in Edinburgh and Scotland. We did one in Paris. Um, We did one in Lyon in France. And that was kind of just an example of being like, this is this is how I want you to view me you know, rather than being like, Oh, we're gonna put you on this base stage again. So I had like two years of of like that transitional thing. Um, and then and then yeah, and then it's and then it worked, you know, and just saying no to a lot of stuff as well.
2: In terms of uh I guess shaping our identity, but also not rushing it, I think it was really insightful what you said about just not not saying yes to everything, certainly so when you're starting out so that you kind of have a control over your destiny so to speak
1: it's so important
2: but i think it's also interesting to i'd be interested to hear your thoughts about working with agents and managers um because i think that's also something that people often want to rush into
1: yeah they really do
2: and i think i mean agent is i guess a slightly different role in that they're bringing options and you're kind of like saying yes or no but specifically with management um because I I didn't work with management until like a couple of years ago, and I think if if people do that very soon, they end up not really steering their own
1: ship. And also, how are they paying for it? You know, they're taking twenty percent.
2: Yeah, but how? T- tell us a bit about your journey with uh, management and agents.
1: Okay.
2: To um, how it relates back to your own identity.
1: Yeah, I think um, I think yeah, for I think yeah, you just got to be careful with with um with all of these decisions. I think. You know, sometimes I actually think you can do a lot of bookings on your own. I know a lot of people that um, have a fake email, but they're controlling. Uh, and Big tip. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, perception is everything sometimes. And, it's, you know, just it's, it's kind of just if you can kind of, you know, you can kind of ask the questions that you wouldn't necessarily ask as, you know, me as Moxie, I wouldn't ask those questions. But, you know, my manager or my agent, Amanda, would. And so, you know, you can phrase stuff and you can be a bit more direct. You know, I think it's important not to be rude, be polite if you're going to do that. Um, But also, I think if also a tip, if you ever are going to do that, always wait to see what they come with. If if they say we want to book you, be like, what's the budget? Don't ever say, oh, well, they're going to play out for this amount of money. Say, you know, what is the budget? How many people are going to be attending? You try and hit past people that have been playing there. Try and like gauge gauge the kind of the vibe of the night but I think um I think it's it really is about you know when you if you get to that point and you are wanting to have an agent it's speaking to different people um see how they view you see how they would you know they would position you over the next two years also do some research of places clubs that you want to play at look at look at your your peers or people that you look up to and think okay well you know there's like this amazing little club that I keep hearing about and I do that still to this day I have loads of lists. And so I always have like a list of like all the festivals that I want to play, all the clubs that I want to play. I speak to the drivers that pick me up and I'm like, so what are the things that you're going to? And they're like, oh, I went to this like amazing festival here and I took someone to here. And I'm like, okay, cool. And then I add that to the list and I make a note with my agent. Because, I, you know, otherwise sometimes you can just be in a bit of like a echo chamber of doing the same kind of things. And it's important to like tap into other stuff that's going on. Um, but I've, I have had a few agents over the years, um, because sometimes, you know, people move around to different agencies or yeah, I've never, I've never like lost an agent because I've been fired or anything like that. It's just, you know, like how things happen with Matt, you know, when he had to move to Amsterdam and everything. Um, and my manager I've had for seven years, um, Chris, he's been really great. Um, looks after a bunch of people, we're actually on the same management firm, aren't we? I remember when you came to talk to me about, oh, I need to have a manager and we, after NTS or something, we're endorsed, don't we are in Dorsten, not But again, I think you just want to, you need to have that connection with someone. You need to make sure that they get what you do and that they're not all about the money and it's about like the bigger picture and, you know, but also ask yourself, like, what do you want to do? Like, where do you want to go with this? Do you, do you have goals as well? And like, think big. I, I always do a list another list. I always do a list at the end of the year as well of all the things that I'm really proud of. Um, because it can be hard to forget stuff. Um and then you look I look back on it and I'm like, Oh yeah, I did that. That's actually I forgot I did that. That was a real that was a milestone. And then as as well as having a list of things I'm proud of, I've always got a list of things that I really wanna strive for. And then when you get there, sometimes you think, Well, I didn't do that. But actually I ended up doing this thing, which was kinda cooler. And I just think it's yeah, just just think like you know where do you where do you want to go? But yeah, your team definitely those are the people that reflect you, and and it's good to have people that are um that are, I think music people as well, you know, and and but also have strategy and they've got your back and they're respected within the the industry as well. That's a good thing with our management. Um, companies that a lot of people really respect the managers that are there because they're nice to work with and they're also music heads.
3: It's all very important, isn't it? Um really interested to hear more about the self-driven um, side of things, maybe pre-management or during management, stuff that comes from you and controlling. Like you said, you've got this list of the list of lists of um, different opportunities and festivals and clubs you want to do. With that in mind, how do you use uh, the internet and technology to create that for yourself or put that word out? How do you, um, yeah, project those dreams and from a self-driven perspective?
1: Um, I don't know. I suppose it's all part of the bigger picture. I think, um, yeah, I don't know. I think, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I suppose it's, it's hard. You can't really like necessarily always like put stuff like out there, but I think, um, okay, so say if you're like gearing towards doing, an essential mix or something like that or a mix for a resident advisor like often some of those things are about profile and again those things I think it's good not to just like rush into them I've got a friend who is got like a really great following and like she's like real like buzzy everyone's like really excited about her and she's been killing it but you know even like quite early into her career She's had quite a fast trajectory and like even really early on bbc were like we want to do an essential mix we want to do this and she's just like you know what no i don't want to do that yet because also like your sound can evolve and like you can change and i think those things will come around if, if that's how you're thinking about it as this like a real like career like i want to be i'm going to be a dj um i love music that's the main thing i'd always say like be obsessed with music like love it you know when i find a track and I'm looking for it for a club show or for radio, I'm all or for to sign to the label. I always think that's a really important thing. Like, does this track move you? Are you like really obsessed with it and you cannot wait to play it out? And I think, yeah, I think that's always like a good thing to stand by.
3: Great. Do you do, um, I know Bradley's really good at this. Um, I know you are as well. So I'm just going to ask anyway. Um, how much work do you put into your social media?
1: Um, okay, so I've, I figured out, I know the times that I like to post. I like to post early in the morning. I like to post in the evening because when posts, okay. So for example, I'm for the UK, so I've got like a big UK following. Um, if I put something on in the morning, a lot of people are going to be looking at that and so therefore the more people that interact with it, then the more people will see it in your feed and so that's what I've kind of figured out or well, sometimes the evening people are scrolling through same kind of thing um and you know I used to get kind of stressed out with having to do like a post when I when I sit there and be like oh, what am I gonna say I don't know what to say like oh god oh wait this or that and so what I do if I know I've got something important to announce I will write it the night before and I'll and I'll do it on my on my notes on my phone on my laptop or whatever and i write i write the whole the whole thing out including like if i'm like adding you or something i'll like get all the apps and, and everything and then look how it is. and i'm like okay and then the next morning when i go to do the post i put it on there and if i think actually this doesn't quite feel right let me switch up a bit and i'll switch it up but at least i've got like the main body of what i want to say so i'm not like spending wasting half an hour because i think when Which is even so stupid when you think about it, like, imagine that, like, wasting, you know, up to, like, 20 minutes or something on an Instagram post. But it's, honestly, it can happen if it's something important. You want to get, you want to get it right.
3: People get paid big money.
1: Yeah, and say if you've got a sponsored post or something, you know, like, with a brand, just, even if it's a few lines, like, just make, just do it the night before. Because then at least when you look at it, you've got a bit of time to think about it. Um that's what I do. It's been working for me and it's less stressful and especially if I've got a bunch of things that I have to post. Um, but I don't know, I go in and out of, you know, love and hate relationship with Instagram sometimes. I'm just, hate it, I want to get off it. You know, you feel a bit low or like you, you're not doing enough and then you see everyone that's like, I'm doing everything and you're like, oh God, it. yeah, and you're like, oh God, I didn't even play out this weekend, should I be playing out? Like You're like, no Alice, it's your weekend off. So yeah, I try to like I try not to be on it too much, but then sometimes it just gets sucked in. Uh, but that's again why I try and like plan what I want to do, so I can try and be in and out.
3: Are you planning content in a way that you're thinking about the algorithm, or is it just straight up? This is what I need.
1: Um yeah, because of the the time I post. Yeah.
3: Not the actual content itself.
1: Um. Like, I are, think...
3: you, are you posting faces more often? Because yeah, I mean
1: sometimes yeah sometimes you know a picture of you is going to probably get more traction but then also I think you just got to like not take it personally if you put a flyer up and then it doesn't get as many likes because certain things are just not going to get as many likes but you know what whatever like just if you need to put it up then then just put it up and don't overthink it like of course something with your face on it where you look nice people are going to interact with it more because that's what they want to see but I don't I don't know, it doesn't always have to be about that, you know, it can just be about things in your life or, you know, I think it's like a representation, it's like a portfolio of you, especially if you're using it as like, for me, like my Moxie account, it's, you know, if someone's coming to book me or they're looking at me or they just want to check me out, you know, it's like, well, that's what are you kind of presenting to the world.
2: I can barely remember what it was like before Instagram in DJ world. Yeah. I guess when I when I started DJing, there was no Instagram, but there was there was Facebook. My of course, yeah, My yes,
1: top six. even the beginning of uh, Instagram, all the dodgy filters, top
2: eight, <laughs> no. yeah,
1: quite. Oh god, yeah, just the, all the like, just everyone overfiltering everything all the time, trying to make it look like a Polaroid. It just looks terrible.
2: Do you think it's made it's leveled the playing field or made it more competitive? The 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 kind of I guess just social media in our particular niche of the entertainment industry
1: it's uh it is crazy how it is like uh, actually such an integral part i mean well i mean i was going to say i was going to compare helena Half, but i think helena Half is like probably one of a handful of djs that don't have an instagram account and they can get away with it um but it, it is i God, I hate to say it but it kind of is actually like a big part of, of of what we do and um yeah it is I don't know. Yeah, you kind of have to kind of go with
2: it. I, I guess, I guess uh, you know, playing two records, you know, in concession isn't that hard. <laughs> so really, I guess what you part of the, the allure, you know, of why one person gets booked over another is, I guess, your perceived personality, whether that is merely an illusion or, or it's actually a real representation. So it's uh, it's a funny one, isn't it? it I totally get how it's. Uh, can be a really toxic place and an unhealthy uh addiction but Mm -hmm. it's you're you're opening the world you know you're opening the door for people to kind of you know I guess see a bit about who you are
1: yeah and I I think um some people can be really savvy and tactical with it and um you know they can put like loads of like pictures up of themselves and you know maybe not wearing many clothes and that kind of stuff but then you got to think if that's how you want to present yourself then you're only going to attract a certain following and it's like is that the following that you want if that is the following you want then cool but if not like consider what you post up you know like think about what do you like to see like what what do you enjoy about what people post and i think keep it authentic keep it honest and um people kind of i think they want to have a little snapshot into your your personality That doesn't necessarily mean that you have to give everything away. But I think being honest and like writing, that's another thing. When I write, I try and think about how I want to write rather than, you know, some people like that was the most amazing show. That was the best gig. You know, sometimes things just sound so generic. And that's why I like to think about stuff the night before so that I'm not just, you know, writing some, any kind of, garbage on there or whatever because sometimes you're like oh, I just got to get it up and it's like no like take a moment like think about it what do you want to say
3: wonderful it is a it's a mind
1: but pain. I hate that we even have to have this conversation to run it. it's like it, I really yes, hate it it's uh, so it's, uh,
3: yeah no it is it is painful but it is so important let's pivot then um just on a, a more like technical level uh, in within Djing Over the years, you've mixed a whole bunch of different genres. A lot of different genres have different types of mixing associated to them. Um, you know, garage is a lot different to like deep house or like, you know, more like rolling techno. Um, how have these technical aspects come into your life? And have you been able to use, uh, use these techniques in different settings to like really, translate an idea you have or is there is it am i talking garbage
1: um no i think um you know like how i said uh, growing up when i was younger i was into garage and so watching people like ez you know like what a master like just so incredible technically and just little things of like you know like cutting into tunes and like knowing when to pull something out and then pull something in Like I definitely, that's definitely part of my, my identity and, and like how I like to mix. That's kind of why I try and steer away from rotary mixes, um, which are more about the blends and for, for like house and disco. But then also that is, I do quite like using an Allen and Heath mixer because again, I do, I do quite like blending, you know, and like, and just like bringing things in like really gently and just making it really nice and smooth, um, and yeah because I suppose I do play different genres, although I do like to see them all under the umbrella of underground like electronic dance music within the realms of house and techno. Um, I think mean, they're so broad, but that's you know that's kind of like what I play really, but you know a little bit of garage maybe like here and there, but not not like not a lot it depends where it is. Um, but I think um, yeah, I think the people that I've grown up watching, they've definitely influenced me and 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 how I like to play. Uh, but I think it's yeah I think it's it's like a feeling sometimes of, of of tracks and that comes from experience of like knowing when to bring things in, knowing when to take them out, and that yeah for me has come from just like years of being in clubs and like reading rooms and knowing like what to do and also trying stuff out. Like you know I had a couple of mixes on the weekend and I was like yo not gonna do that again. I was like that didn't quite work, <laughs> but then I did something else and I was like that was sick. Okay remember that one. I think it's good to um to take a risk as well just you know figure things out on the fly when you're in front of a crowd because sometimes if you're feeling off that energy with people then you're like "Fuck it, i'm just gonna do this i'm gonna do that and then when it works it's really really good and it's i think it's important to like step out of your your comfort zone as well
3: totally and there's only one way to find out isn't there um how much work do you put in behind the scenes uh with your there's obviously records but probably more on a digital library um are you organizing are you playlisting is it uh are you
2: cue pointing wait till you see alice's yeah box.
1: no i actually i do okay. need to actually figure out a new way of how i archive my music but um yeah i have everything so digitally speaking i have everything that is in itunes and it feeds through into record box and then in record box i um I have uh, like a gig, I have like a gig folder and so like every single gig even if there might be some similar playlists to the gig from the week before I still go through and make a new playlist because I realised actually that sometimes you can think oh yeah I know all the tunes it's fine but then you go to play the gig and you're like oh actually god wait what, what do I have in here again but if you physically go through everything and you edit it and filter it for that set the process of that you're remembering all the tracks that you're putting aside and then you might think oh wait there's that other track and there's another one um but generally like with with my folder what I've been kind of doing I will always have a percussive folder that is just like loads of kind of percussive-y tool moments um that you can just that are also a bit of a get out of jail free card because if you're in a bit of a sticky moment you just think oh god actually I don't know quite know what to play but I can um I can just put on this percussive roller and then I can kind of go anywhere from that. Um, So I'll have that, I'll have, you know, big energy moments, um, like kind of groovy tunes, deeper, more like driving tracks. And so what I've realized, the key for me, because I used to get kind of anxious before I play out, um, because I think, oh, what's the situation? What's the scenario I'm going into? You know, like, what is it going to be? And I've realized it for me, it is really in the prep, because when you step on stage and you're going to play, you want to you want to really understand like how does your brain work when you're standing there and you're looking at the crowd and you're looking at digital files which sometimes can just be a bit overwhelming because there is so much music and you're like right where where is my brain going to go to right now and you're looking at the room and you're thinking oh really I'm going to want to track this it's got a bit more of like a vibe it's a bit groovy it's around 130 okay let me go to my groovy 130 folder okay or just a groovy folder and it will be kind of housey techy house tracks and, and then if I want something that's a bit more like left field and I'm like, I kind of want a bit of a weirder moment right now. I want to kind of just take it off for a sec. Then I'll, I'll go, oh, well, I've got that folder and there might only be five tracks in there. But I'm like, yeah, brilliant. That one, that's going to go with that. And also just having a mix at home before, if you have time, like, because then you're going to familiarize yourself with like all of those playlists, those tracks. Work out some blends if you're traveling on the train, like. Just get your tunes like go through them and just think like what things can go together especially if i have like a really high stakes big show then i will figure out a few little blends maybe of like four tracks like here and there and then i know that when i go to play the whole set is like it's all kind of feeding off the vibe and everything but i'll be like oh you know what i've got that sick blend let me go to that and then you do it and it is so satisfying when you're just like yeah it's like because you're able to just be really snappy with the mix because you've got all your tunes lined up, especially if there's like five thousand people in front of you and you're like, okay, you need to bring it. You don't have time to be like, oh, why don't we just what is the room saying? You know, you're like, no, bring it. You know. Um, and I and I also I uh, I will sometimes plan the first like three tunes. It might I might get there and it would be completely wrong and I'll be like, no, no, that wasn't right. But if it's right, then you can kind of just settle in do that first mix and then you're like as you as you're doing it then you're like okay let me let me see what the room is saying what can i do um so i think actually it really is in the prep because you don't want to be you don't want to be like um overthinking it too much and worrying about what you're playing and stuff and thinking you want to be really relaxed and like know where all your music is know where you want to go
2: and also be inspired and know whether the new music is and be excited to play some new
1: Oh yeah, I always have a new folder and I'll always like, I want to play all of the tracks from that folder.
3: Where do you find new music?
1: Okay, so there's a few ways. Um, Obviously Bandcamp is amazing. Um, Really, really great. Um, Just sometimes like, you know, you might go to a certain track and then you see what they suggest at the bottom. Also someone uh, told me about this thing, which sometimes I don't really do because it could be, you know, a bit hit and miss, but um you can click onto other people's collections sometimes so i do that all the time yeah like sometimes sometimes um yeah like if there's a track where you're like this track is wicked like so you just go and you can like i don't know sometimes it's just potluck like like um okay who else has bought this i'll go on that icon and you look at it and you can see their past collection and you scroll through and sometimes you think "Uh, i don't know and then other times you're like wow i found this one track and like how would you have got there you wouldn't have got there and I don't know, for me, I do radio, we play out. I'm all about sharing the music. Um, but then, so that there's that element. But then also, if you like buying records or you use Discogs, which is a really great uh, record, uh, like vinyl platform where people sell and buy loads of records, um, it's a really good trick um, that someone told me about. So again, go for records that you really love, um, that you're like, this is my like killer tune. And they have a section on the right-hand side, and it says lists. And people, they make these lists. Like, people on Discogs, I like, do lists of all their, like, their favorite tunes, and they'll have their... Dark, uh, breakbeat, midnight. Yeah, so they'll like, theme it, you know? And then um, if if, you're, if the track that you love has been themed and is put in that, that theme of that list, then there's a good chance that there might be a bunch of other stuff which you really like. And a lot of it is only going to be on vinyl, so not a lot of people are going to have it. And then also, if if they don't, then at least you can, like, if it's on digital, then you're like, oh, okay, great. Well, let me go and find it. Let's go to the label. Let's go to the back catalogue. Let's go and see what else they've done. Oh, there's another artist on there that I really like. What else have they done? You know, and so sometimes, obviously, you know, like you say, you end up having about 50 tabs, like, all open. And you're like, we can go here. And it's like a spider diagram. You're like, but I could go there and then here and then, oh, my God. And like... You know, so it can, again, be quite overwhelming, but it's great when you find those gems that no one has and, and you've spent sometimes hours, but you're like, this was worth it. No one has this record. I love it. I'm going to buy it. going to play it out.
2: I think another nice tip for people who were, you know, starting out DJing and building, a, I guess like a, a bank of exclusive music that maybe no one else has, which is always a nice thing to do to be able to play something that no one's heard before. Um perhaps it's really obvious, but if you really if you follow um say a particular promoter, sorry, producer or a, a new label, just send them a message. Just I certainly before I started my own label and when I was doing NTS in the early days, um, I just started a lot of relationships with with people running small labels who I really admired and just asked them to send you a promo. Ask them to, if they've got anything coming up that, that they might want you to play on the radio or you're going to play a gig next week or da, 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 um, and yeah, being on promo lists is, is a, is a huge, um, I guess, it's quite a channel big, for getting yeah. music. It, it can, it can be kind of overwhelming, you know, when you've been doing this for a while, um, advanced apologies to anyone who's ever sent me a demo that I just haven't listened to, but, um. You, you you build up your own network of I guess like trusted confidants, and um, and if you make those relationships early in your journey with people who are on a similar kind of uh, trajectory and, and level to you, then you you, you you're just kind of supporting each other and lifting each other up, and it's um, also just sick to get music that no one else has. Um, so that's that's maybe worth mentioning.
1: Yeah. Um, but you know, what? I was just on that like tip of just like searching for music. I Yeah, I just really think that when you consider your identity, it really is just about the music that you play. You know, I think that is the thing that like, if you want to stand out against anyone else, like anyone can really learn how to DJ once you once you get it down. You're like, OK, but it's really like how you play that, like how how the music you choose to play and how you play it. Like that, that that really is just like. I think that is going to form your identity that is what will make you different from anyone else like really just be authentic be you and play stuff that that you really have a connection to and that you think is is worth supporting
3: i think at the end of the day djs are just curators really of the of the room the club
1: yeah i mean we definitely are you know we don't make music that's our this is our identity obviously we have like different different parts of our of our you know of our worlds and our brand but really it's like that is our our identity is like what we choose to play what we play on the radio like right like you say what we curate for the label and all that kind of stuff
2: i'm just having that urge to share it you know um that was from the first radio show i did in 2009 it was always really about just not just finding it but being able to like broadcast it like really really just shout about it um, and it was this incessant urge I had since, well, since I can remember, since I was making tapes on my fisher Bright recorder. Yeah, that's
1: what you, you were recorder.
2: just... order That's what was making me think of. Nine, and mix it. It's
1: like exchanging CDs and mini-discs.
2: I was selling CD-Rs in school for, in like, I must have been like 11 years old, because my dad was one of the first people to get a CD writer. And I was selling, like, mix tapes for like two pounds. I've been, I've been at
3: this a while. Well... Um, well, that actually leads beautifully into the the final question I have, and 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 that is, how do, how do you see yourself within the music community, and how do you actively go about building that community?
1: Uh, I suppose for me, just from like really early on, I've just always really wanted to support women, just because when I was when I was younger, when I was going to the clubs when I was sixteen, when I was going to hip hop pies. There really just were no DJs. There was this one DJ Sarah Love that I that admired greatly. And so for me, for a really long time, it was like, Okay, I need to put myself like at the forefront because I think that, you know, when someone sees themselves in in a role, then they realise that they can aspire to do that or they can think, Oh my God, like I never thought I could do that. Like, well, now I've seen this this woman and actually that that that's really inspiring and it's like with me and three of my friends, like we have this, this like group and we, we play together at really selective shows, myself, Sersha, Shanti Celeste and Peach, and that has just come from friendship. And when we play those shows, we get so many people that come up to us and they're like, oh my God, like four women playing together. This is amazing. Like, this is so sick. Like, I love it, especially like some older fans that will, you know, again, like my generation that I'll just say like I've never seen this. Like, we never would have had this 10 years ago. And so... I think for a really long time, like that was my thing was like really just trying to bring women through and like that's what I've tried to do with my radio show. I really try my best with the label, although I think female producers is like harder because there's just not that many coming through quite yet. But there there are some really exciting um, uh, young talents, but there's a lot more DJs I think than producers. So I'm definitely like always trying to like, you know, fill those spots on the label. But yeah, and then I just think I think past that, it's just diversity. It's just, it's just like opening up everything. You know, you want everyone to feel like welcome. And and music is is a whole spectrum, and especially if you think about where dance music comes from. You know, like people should all be represented. You think about all the amazing club nights that happened in Chicago and New York and Detroit, and at least that's the music that 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 we play. So I think just trying to like help bring people through, keep things diverse and um and have it more represented for like for everyone because you know you don't it's fun to have a party with loads of different types of people and like different energies and that's yeah that's what I find like exciting and that's what I want to see so that's what I'm trying trying to like to help do
3: Incredible. Do you have anything to add to that, Bradley?
2: From my perspective or, or to uh to comment on what Moxie said from your perspective. From my perspective, well, oof. I mean, I kind of said it when it um in my comment before about just having this urge to to share something. But I guess as you um progress in your in your career, I mean, for a start, I never really considered this a career, you know. I was I studied fine art, I wanted to be a, a painter. And this music was just the thing I did that was really fun and uh, and it became something. not not to say that there was no um, dedication or direction or or hard work, but I just really it, it just didn't seem like a, like a viable option. It was just really this was my hobby, you know. but then as you as you become uh, I guess recognized and it becomes like an actual career path then there's certain responsibilities that maybe you didn't even consider when you were just putting on a party in a pool hall with some friends so there was there was this transition point for me in in the first lockdown when i suddenly realized like i wasn't one of the young ones anymore and because for up for ages i just felt like like the the new kid on the block and then there was this i guess moment where there was a lot of time for reflection and you realize like oh i've been doing this for a while And there's, there's kids coming up now who were like 10 years old when I, when I started the label, do you know what I mean? It's like, this is just nuts. So, and then there was also a lot of other things going on around that time, um, with regards to representation of women and, um, and, and a kind of gender, gender balance with, with regards to BLM and everything that that brought up and this, just the injustices and the, uh, and the inequality of opportunities. So for me, it was, the the reason we, we kind of, well, the reason I kind of started this Patreon scheme was to, we're not going to change the world with one, uh you know, online program, but it's a step in the right direction. And it was thinking about what we can do that's going to, you know, level that playing field a bit, open some doors where they weren't open, give some people opportunities that they perhaps wouldn't have had. And that was... um I guess that was my contribution to the to this this problem because what I realized from starting off in the music industry obviously from like the a grassroots level was that it was this amazing diverse place where I felt um I didn't feel like I was the only one you know I studied fine arts and 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 it was it's not the most diverse um, uh place should we say but then I found music and was like wow this is my people this is my you know, I really feel at home here. Then as you climb up this ladder up from the, you know, the DJ at the bottom of the lineup to the person who's doing the residency to the person who's planning the, the festivals and having these conversations with management and with, um, you know, owners and, and, uh, and boards of executives, suddenly you're the only one in the room again. And this really diverse, um, beautiful, uh, you know, scene you realize it's actually not really diverse or representative at all. So I've managed to get to a certain point in this, but my my kind of uh, thought at that point was how can I, how can I kind of do something to try and diversify it from the top to the bottom. Um, and this was, as, this is what I managed. One step in the right direction. I don't think anyone's going to change the world uh, with one idea, and I I, 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 very much doubt this will change the world. But um, yeah, that that's kind of something that I'm, that I'm interested to to like level out.
1: But can I just say something also, Bradley? What is really great that you do with rhythm section is that. You have this really young team of people around you and, you know, I think it is really important to try and bring the next generation through. So as much as I trying to make a change in diversity, you also are like, hey, come through like, and I I think that is really integral is to open doors up and if there's even people like, you know, that of this level that are like, can be in the same room. And um uh, yeah, I've always respected that about what you've done with the the label and everything. You know, you've got a got a team, got a business. It's,
2: it's I have really cool. a really good team. And and sometimes people are like, How do you do all this? I'm like, I don't do it all. Like there's there's a there's a really good team. Shouts to Emily, shouts to Henry, shouts to the other Emily, Amelia, Marley, Aisha, Rose. Um, we've got a really good team. And and yeah, I guess part of that it it, it makes it it makes it fun and interesting and and fresh, but like you say, it's also bringing new ideas and new blood and different perspectives. Um, because yeah, I guess you, it's it's a funny one, isn't it? Because so much of what we do is like deemed to be our like taste and our uh, curatorial expertise, but really, you have to. It's not down to any one person. It's it's your network. It's the people you surround yourself with. It's the people that you meet along the way, and it's the the influences that you allow in. And, and I guess having good people around you, um, is, is really, really important. And that's, I've been lucky enough to build a really amazing people around me. Um, so yeah, shouts to them all. A lovely segue
3: to the, um, conclusion of this part of the talk. Um, yeah, just want to reiterate that community building is so, so important. And like, um, Moxie and Bradley have both said, it's the people around you that, um, Make you what you are and, and just embracing all that, sharing music, sharing good times.
1: Can I also just say something as well? Um, NTS, I just have to big up NTS because really, NTS, when we talk about community, is our community and they have supported both of us so much. I've been with them coming up to like 13 years next year. And um, in the same respect that you have your team of people, like you've just given them the space to also just like to grow and to learn with you as you're building rhythm section. And um NTS have done that with us. They've just they've just like given us free reign to just like be who we want to be and like put on like really great parties and pretty much all the original people that have worked there from day one still work there. And um again, community, I, I always feel that whenever I go into Gillett Square to do my show. It's London and it feels is so authentic. Like you can't you could never buy that because where that has grown from, that is, you know, Femi who started NTS, it's come from him, it's his vision and that's why it's it's so pure and that's why people really love it and that's why I love it and that is why I will always fly the flag for NTS and yeah, that I'm just yeah, realised that we hadn't quite touched on that and you say community is like, wait, we just need a moment for NTS. Where is you it? know. They're big parts of our, of our career and our life. Huge. Everything.
2: And it, it's also beautiful to see a lot of similar things pop up in different cities, you know, because, uh, and and I don't think it's competition. I don't think NTS are like, uh, see Skylab in Melbourne or Refuge in Berlin and think the lot kiosk, the lot in New York, kiosk in Belgium, there's there's so many, but I think it's, uh, it, it helps galvanize a community and I'm sure you're all from different parts of the UK. Um, and there's, there's probably similar things in your respective towns that, that kind of help do the same thing. Um, and there's room for more, you know, there's, there's no kind of, I think one nice thing about our level of, or our niche within the music community is it's not very, it may, maybe, maybe competitive in a, in a positive sense, but it doesn't feel ever competitive in a kind of people are at each other's throats kind of way. It, it feels, uh, cooperative, um, for the most part. certainly in my experience, and that there's enough people to go around. There's enough uh, dancers, there's enough listeners, there's enough people wanting to engage in something and create a momentum. Um, And I think that's something to really remember Um, when you're, you know, building your own communities and platforms and labels and club nights, that uh, you're all in it together. And um, we're looking for that to be the case in London, because in some smaller towns where there's maybe actually not quite enough people to go around, it can be quite cutthroat but um, but not so much in this city and that I think is, is a really nice thing about about it wonderful uh, and on that note thank
3: you very much for listening uh, for all those listening at home uh, you've been tuned into Rhythm Section Future Proof Masterclass with Moxie and Bradley Zero and Henry Henry that's
2: right aka Roy Mills shout out Thank you.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thank you you for listening to this RA Exchange presented by Future Proof and Rhythm Section. Shout out to Bradley, Henry, Emily, and the team at Rhythm Section for making this collaboration happen, as well as to the Arts Council and PRS for facilitating the live masterclass event. You can also watch snippets of this masterclass on our YouTube. The track you heard in this episode is Baby Wants by Dowd, selected by Moxie. If you liked what you heard in this episode, please subscribe to the RA Exchange and listen to our full archive of conversations on RA.co or on SoundCloud at RA-Exchange. If you have ideas for guests you'd like to hear on the podcast or stories you'd like to share, please send us an email at exchange at RA.co. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time. Take care.